Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome to another message from Keep the Faith. I hope you are well and prospering in the Lord. Most of all, I hope you are getting ready to meet Jesus in the clouds of glory. He is coming soon, you know, and we don't have time to play with sin. Now is the time to be an overcomer in the name and power of Jesus Christ. Your eternal destiny depends on it. Thank you for your prayers for Keep the Faith Ministry. We need them as we seek God's will month by month in preparing the messages that are designed to keep you up to date on current fulfillments of prophecy and encourage you to get ready. Also continue to pray for our work at Highwood in Australia. We are praying that the Lord will help us strengthen the work there so that it will be a powerful soul-winning tool in the hands of the Lord. Your prayers and support mean much to us. We are very thankful for how God continues to open up doors for Keep the Faith. There are endless opportunities, and we just stand amazed at the results. Last month, those of you in the USA received an insert from Last Generation magazine, offering you an opportunity to purchase quantities of a special edition of that wonderful soul-winning magazine. If you haven't done so already, please call them and get some of those for your missionary work. They are an excellent tool and easy to share. Don't hide your faith. The Last Generation magazine is there to help you with your missionary work. My wife is the editor, and many times the magazine carries articles that I have written. There are still some special prices available on quantities. Here is an opportunity that you should not pass up. If you live outside the United States, you can contact them and get special pricing too. Just ask. Their direct phone number is 540-672-5671. That's 540-672-5671. Today I have a sobering message for you. If you haven't noticed that there are problems in the global economy, you have your head buried in the sand. But what is the situation, and what can we expect in the future? Before we get into our message for today, let us bow our heads in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us as we share together. Our Father in heaven, we come to you today needing to understand your thoughts. We need to know how heaven thinks about the things that are rapidly coming upon the world. We seem to be heading from one crisis to another. No sooner does one crisis or disaster fade into our memories, but then the next one comes upon us rapidly. It's like those tornadoes in the United States in recent times. When one funnel cloud would dissipate, another would pop up. We see that in the world, everything is in an unsettled state. And as we near the close of probation, We see that nature is more and more turned out of its course as severe weather, earthquakes, and volcanoes, and other disasters wreak havoc around the planet. But there are other types of prophetic problems arising too, such as the precarious economy. So please speak to us today about our need and help us understand the big picture and the great struggle that is coming upon the world. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Please turn with me, if you can, in your Bibles to Luke 21, verses 25 and 26. Here is a passage in which Jesus tells us plainly what is going to happen to the nations. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Do you think these verses are being fulfilled today? Yes, they are partly being fulfilled. There is certainly perplexity among the nations, and there is certainly distress, war, famine, pestilence, economic misery, human cries of woe from earthquakes, tornadoes, and other disasters. The problems we face are only getting worse. The planet is facing severe challenges. In verse 9, Jesus said that we would hear of commotions. Have you heard any commotions lately? Isn't the struggle going on in the nations of the Middle East and in North Africa a lot of commotion? It certainly is. Today I want to talk to you about the cause of these commotions. I also want to talk to you about the future and the commotions and eruptions that will cause men's hearts to fail them for fear. But we don't need to fear if we are in Christ. That is the great comfort of the true Christian who loves God's law and lives for Jesus. Do you know what Jesus is doing by letting the world suffer increasing woe? It is to get the hearts of his people ready for peace and joy. The more woe we see and the more pain we suffer, the more ready our hearts will be for the sheer tranquility of heaven. What a blessing that will be! In the last few years, economic crises erupted all around the world. Places like Iceland, Greece, Ireland, Portugal, Spain, and some other European countries are struggling to keep their economies from collapsing. People who are dependent on the government support for pensions, health care, and other social service contracts are facing severe cuts in their benefits as promises of government leaders are being shredded. In addition to the personal pain, these nations are being forced to accept rescue packages from the European Union and the International Monetary Fund, which is turning them into vassal states in the new Holy Roman Empire. Now Greece is about to receive another huge bailout from the European Union and the International Monetary Fund, because it has not been able to cut through the huge deficits with austerity measures. So the pain is not going to go away for its citizens either. It is only going to get worse. By the way, Ireland also is recently preparing for a second infusion of money. But the economic virus is not limited to these peripheral European countries. Recently we saw major upheavals in the Middle East and North Africa, where quite a number of nations have overthrown their leaders and are demanding a new set of political and economic principles. Their economies are in a shambles, and as food prices skyrocket, the people demand change. The stress is spreading around in an ever-widening circle of wave after wave of economic bad news. Now the United States is about to enter another huge economic crisis. It has piled up so much debt that it is fast coming to the point where it will not be able to pay the interest. The problems in the U.S. real estate markets in 2008 caused serious economic emergencies in many countries around the world. 
the problem was not just confined to the United States. This led to serious problems with global banks and investment firms around the world. But now the same problems that were in the banks are now in the U.S. government. Excessive borrowing on cheap credit has created a looming crisis. The next phase of the economic crisis involving the United States will threaten your way of life like nothing else could, and most people don't know what to do when they can't use their credit cards, or they can't buy gold or silver, or when they can't get enough money simply to pay for food. I hope you heard what I just said. Let me say it again. Most people don't know what to do when they can't pay for food. Do you realize what the Lord says will happen? Listen to this from the book Early Writings, page 282 and 283. I saw the saints leaving the cities and villages and associating together in companies and living in the most solitary places. Angels provided them with food and water while the wicked were suffering from hunger and thirst. Then I saw the leading men of the earth consulting together and Satan and his angels busy around them. I saw a writing copies of which were scattered in different parts of the land, giving orders that unless the saints should yield their peculiar faith, give up the Sabbath, and observe the first day of the week, the people were at liberty, after a certain time, to put them to death. Think about this statement for a minute. From it we can see that several things are coming upon the world. During the time of trouble, the most severe judgments of God will be in the land. Leading up to the time of trouble, there will be increasing problems with basic necessities like food and water, especially in cities, but also in the country. The statement said that angels will provide those who keep God's commandments, particularly His Holy Sabbath, with food and water, while the wicked, those who despise His holy law and reject His Sabbath, will suffer from hunger and thirst. How do the wicked starve from hunger and thirst? Well, there are two ways, and both are in play in the last days. Either the food isn't available, or the people don't have enough money to buy it, either through inflation or through lack of income. And I believe that these words of inspiration are telling us that it is going to be excruciating. There's another statement that gives a bit more detail. It is from the Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 4, page 446. While God's judgments are visited upon the earth and the wicked are dying from hunger and thirst, angels provide the righteous with food and water. Notice that there will not only be a famine of food in the earth, but a famine for water. And it will be so bad that people will die from it. Now that's serious. I suspect that this is not just talking about those living in the arid parts of the earth. I suspect that this is talking about countries that currently have plenty of food and water. We're already beginning to see the first part of this prophecy fulfilled. As extreme weather, by storm or drought, causes crops to fail or be destroyed, food prices will climb sky high. Other commodities will also increase dramatically. You and I need to understand the serious problem that is coming on the world and is just beginning to unfold. Here's yet another statement from God's messenger that ties in the economic crisis. This one is from Maranatha, page 181. The Lord has shown me in vision repeatedly that it is contrary to the Bible to make any provision for our temporal wants in the time of trouble. I saw that if the saints have food laid up by them or in the fields in the time of trouble, 
When sword, famine, and pestilence are in the land, it will be taken from them by violent hands, and strangers will reap their fields. Then will be the time for us to trust wholly in God, and He will sustain us. I saw that our bread and water would be sure at that time, and we should not lack or suffer hunger. The Lord has shown me that some of His children would fear when they see the price of food rising, and they would buy food and lay it by for the time of trouble. Then, in a time of need, I saw them go to their food and look at it, and it had bred worms and was full of living creatures and not fit for use. Again, we need to think about what this statement is saying, and for that matter, what it's not saying. There is a lot in it. Note that the author was shown repeatedly. This is not just a low-level principle that is not so important. It is a high-level principle that deserves repeated instruction from the Lord. Let's face it. It is vitally important that you follow God's instructions. When there is hunger in the land, God says He will provide for His people. Jesus Himself said that our Heavenly Father cares for us even more than He cares for the sparrow. You can read that in Luke 12, verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are more valuable than many sparrows. In other words, Jesus is telling us that we don't have to fear for the absence of food in the time of trouble. For your heavenly Father, who feeds the sparrows, and who cares much more for you than for them, will feed you directly. But you have to be in Christ. You have to have His Spirit in you. You cannot get that at the last moment. You have to get it now. And if you're going to survive in the time of trouble, you need Jesus in your heart. Another point to notice about this statement is that some of God's children will succumb to fear when they see the price of food rising and will try to hoard food in storage for the time of trouble. First, let me say that I believe this is talking about hyperinflation, a massive run-up in prices, not just the gradual, though rather rapid, rising prices that we've seen in recent times. I believe this fear is common. Many of us think about buying up food to hedge the future costs when faced with soaring prices. I have from time to time myself thought about that. But when I read God's counsel, I could see that hoarding food for the final crisis is not God's plan. He wants to do something awesome for His people. He wants them to learn to trust Him completely. He wants to provide them some kind of food in their distress. Can you imagine what that would be like? Imagine an angel coming to you with a basket. When you look inside, there are the best mangoes you've ever seen in your life. There are some grapes there, too, that have a flavor like you've never tasted before. And they give you more energy than you've ever had in your life. Maybe God will give us some taste of manna. You know, getting the Israelites, God's church in the Old Testament times, to trust Him completely was the purpose of the manna. I don't know what it will exactly be like to have angels bring food to God's saints, but my imagination wants to run riot. I love the thought, and I believe that you need to imagine it too. It will encourage you if you have this in your mind when you go through difficulty. God's promises to sustain His people are sure and certain. And that is a promise that you can rely on. My friend, get your life right with God. Let Jesus have full control of your heart. 
You won't regret it, and the reward is phenomenal. Are food prices rising right now? They certainly are. In fact, world food prices are at an all-time high, and there is no end in sight. Food production is being strained. Some of the crops are being diverted into fuel production. On top of that, food is being hoarded by some nations who somehow want to buffer the effect of the exponentially increasing cost of staple foods, pushing prices even higher. In the last year, world wheat prices, for instance, rose by 75%. Now, that doesn't make much of a difference to a loaf of bread in the United States or Europe, Australia, or New Zealand. But in India and in Bangladesh, Tunisia, Egypt, and Africa, it makes a huge difference. Because the people living in these developing countries are so poor that most of their income is spent on food, clothing, and shelter. So a major increase in the price of commodities leads to larger increases in real retail prices. This, in turn, takes a much larger percentage out of their meager income. Since most of them are already living on the edge, this makes the bread, cornmeal, rice, or whatever else they normally purchase to eat much more pricey. But world food prices are also taking a bite, quite a bite, out of the income of families in Western countries as well. If wages don't increase in tandem with the inflated cost of living, people in Western countries will eventually lose the advantage they have, and they too will spend a much greater percentage of their income on food. That is actually happening. Food and water are looming as a key point of distress of nations in the near future. In recent times, there has been a small reprieve in gas, petrol, and food price increases. But don't be deceived by the lull. It's only temporary. Prices are going to rise again. And if you fall into fear and lay up food in storage for the time of trouble, it will either be taken from you or will be no good to eat. So what does this mean? Does this mean that we should have nothing in storage for the next few months? Look. Jesus was talking about the time of trouble. Some people go to great lengths to get enough food to last them several years or a decade, should there be a time of trouble. But God says don't do that. That does not mean, however, that you should not store up food in your pantry for up to a year. That is always what happens when you're dependent on the growing season. If you're following God's counsel and living off the land as much as possible, you will need to find a way to have a garden and live as much out of it as you can. You will need to can or freeze enough of your produce to last a year until the next harvest comes along. This is the way it always has been. There is nothing wrong with that. This passage is not speaking about storing up food in harmony with the natural agricultural cycle, nor is it talking about the time before the time of trouble. During the time prior to the Great Tribulation, there will be increasing stress and distress for quite some time, and it is not wrong to have something in store for the needs of your family up until that final time of trouble. But don't go out and hoard food and store it up with the intent to have it available during the time when God's people will be put to the test. For just as God allows them to be tested, they are also to test God and let Him prove Himself and provide all their needs. But you'd better start trusting God now and getting yourself into the country and starting to live off the land. Notice also that the statement said that there would be sword and famine and pestilence in the land. Think about that. 
What does sword mean? Why, that means war. Perhaps civil war or riots and heavy-handed police or military action against citizens who are upset because of the lack of food and water available to them. You know from watching what is happening in other countries that when there's a lack of food, the prices skyrocket and the people get angry and protest to the government, demanding that something be done about it. They even overthrow their leaders. Don't think that this can't happen in your country. Also think where this is most likely to happen. The greatest troubles will be in the cities. But the cities are not the only places where there is likely to be violence. No doubt there will also be conflicts out in the country as well. That's why God's people have to go to the solitary places and be fully dependent on Him. Their lands will be taken from them if they still have them. Their gardens will be stripped of their produce. People in and around cities will panic and will come out into the country hoping to find food. They will scavenge and steal, and if you resist, they will do violence. It will be a very dangerous time to have a garden full of produce when people are hungry. You will lose all you have. So live your normal life in harmony with God's revealed will, and He'll take care of you when the crisis comes. But this statement tells us plainly what the conditions will be like in the time of trouble. There will be famines, pestilences, and war. Can you imagine war in the peaceful country where you live? All you have to do to imagine it is to look at what happened when prices of food got too high in some of those Middle Eastern nations or those North African nations. There was strife and bloodshed as governments lost their ability to control their populations. The leaders resorted to violence, and the people in some places retaliated with more violence. This is what happens when people get hungry and their survival is threatened. These statements set the stage for our subject today. There is going to be great distress of nations with perplexity, Jesus said. Do you think that people are perplexed today? Just when you think the economy is going to recover, just when gas or petrol prices start to come down a little, just when you are starting to breathe easier, things are going to get worse. We are in the eye of the hurricane. In 2008, the first phase of the economic storm began through the collapse of the housing market in the USA. This had a ripple effect on the economy in other parts of the world, through banks that had invested in the U.S. real estate market. But the problems mounted, particularly as the loss of jobs rose to astronomically high levels, and unemployment soared, and the American people went on a buying strike. They just stopped buying anything except the most basic supplies, for the most part. The U.S. Federal Reserve started guaranteeing mortgage lending agencies, banks, and even some big businesses like AIG, GM, Fannie Mae, and Freddie Mac. That was QE1, or the first phase of quantitative easing, a Federal Reserve euphemism for creating money out of thin air to support the failing housing and industry sector. And boy, did they! Billions upon billions of dollars were created out of nothing to bolster the banks and bail out insurance companies and turn on the financial spigots for families in trouble. Hundreds of billions of dollars were approved by the U.S. Congress for a stimulus package that was supposed to jumpstart the U.S. economy and bring back prosperity. But it didn't happen. Yes, the money was spent, but the economy continues to struggle. Most of the jobs created were in the federal government, not in productive industry. 
Now, after a second round of quantitative easing, known as QE2, in which the Federal Reserve has tried to buy up U.S. Treasury bills that nobody else wants, they have created billions and billions of more dollars out of thin air. Now the United States is standing on the brink of financial precipice. QE2 was scheduled to stop recently, but the federal government cannot risk defaulting on its obligations, so it has to keep borrowing more money. So by default, no pun intended, QE3 has begun. They had to. They had no choice. The only option when the United States has sent much of its industry overseas and Americans produce much less than they consume is to print more money. This is dangerous for the global economy as well as for the United States. The world leaders are desperately trying to hold it all together until they are able to centralize the control of the economy away from the U.S. dollar. Keep in mind that the United States, whether you like it or not, is directly linked to almost all the other countries of the world. Oil is sold in U.S. dollars, which means that every country has to peg its currency to the U.S. dollar. This has made it so that the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency of the world. This means that the United States is the one country that controls the economy of the world, and this has been true for the last 60 years or so. Now all that is about to change, and your life is likely going to be quite different, particularly if you live in the United States, but also to a great degree if you live in another country. What has saved the United States in this reckless disregard of economic principles, what has preserved the United States in spite of its enormous deficit, is the fact that the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency of the world, and the economic crisis precipitated by the collapse of the mortgage markets gave world leaders the excuse to develop a way to gradually strip the United States of this protection. The consequences will be enormous. There is coming an economic tsunami that is likely going to overwhelm most people who will not know what to do. They just hope and pray that they will be able to ride out the storm. They just blindly go about their daily business, choosing to be oblivious to the realities around them. They believe that government officials will tell them the truth, and usually the message is that everything is improving and that we are headed back to the days of prosperity, though it is temporarily slow going. So goes the official version. Recently, Ben Bernanke, chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve, made a public statement in which he said that he expects the economy to improve in the long term and suggested that the sluggish improvements of the recent past are temporary. If the nation is to have a healthy economic future, policymakers urgently need to put the federal government's finances on a sustainable trajectory, he said. But don't do anything too drastic, he quipped. But on the other hand, a sharp fiscal consolidation focused on the very near term, could be self-defeating if it were to undercut the still fragile recovery. He said that policymakers should look for long-term consolidation and deficit reduction plans. Do you believe that the recovery will improve and that the slow start is only temporary? I don't. He is just trying to keep people from panicking. Imagine him saying, it is unsustainable, and there is no way the U.S. can pull out of this, and we are going to have a major collapse. That would be devastating to the markets. Yet that is what he said. He said policymakers, that means government officials, 
urgently, note that word urgently, need to put the federal government's finances on a sustainable trajectory. In other words, the federal government's finances are not on a sustainable trajectory at all at the moment. Ben Bernanke is masking the real problem, and he is a master at clouding the issues, making the stark facts that the United States is bankrupt less clear. His murky language only calms the fears of the market so that they will not panic and remove liquidity and flee to safer havens like non-U.S. currencies or assets. We don't know exactly when the collapse will come, but it will certainly come. The Federal Reserve may be able to hold off the day of reckoning a bit longer. Events may delay global leaders' plans to implement alternatives to the U.S. dollar as the world currency. God has many ways to hold off the winds of strife. But once the U.S. dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency, the dollar appeal will end, and a new currency could likely replace it. And Americans will be much poorer than they were before. Already U.S. debt is fast approaching the point where income from taxes and other sources will be only enough to pay the interest on the debt. This is unsustainable. Bernanke's message to the people of the United States was that they should start spending again and spend with confidence. Is he crazy? Or is he masking the real situation? I don't know about you, but I am wary when a government or economic leader makes this kind of statement. What he says is usually the exact opposite of what is the truth. For instance, during the Euro crisis, Irish leaders said that there was no reason to think that there should be a bailout. Ireland's Minister for European Affairs, Dick Roach, denied that Ireland needed an emergency financing. There is no reason why we should trigger an EU or IMF-type bailout, he said. That wasn't long before Ireland got its first bailout. Now fears are mounting again of the need for a second bailout, and once again Irish leaders are saying that it isn't necessary. At the end of May 2011, Irish Central Bank Governor Patrick Honahan said, There was no need for a hypothetical discussion about whether Ireland will need a second bailout if it is unable to return to market funding next year. So watch for a second bailout over there in Ireland. The same thing happened in Portugal. First, there were denials that bailout would be needed in January of 2011. But then, a few short months later, in May, Portugal received its first bailout from the EU and the International Monetary Fund. So, you need to be very careful to think about what is really being said by economists when the fundamental principles of the economy are heading downward. You cannot hope that things will just get better. They are going to get worse, though governments and reserve banks will try to do so gradually. Right now, we have been in a little lull, the eye of the storm. People are made to feel that things are going to gradually get better so that they don't panic, and so that they believe that they can spend with confidence, go in debt, and live beyond their means again. The Federal Reserve is buying so many U.S. Treasury bills that the United States is up to its eyeballs in debt, not only to China, but to the U.S. Federal Reserve itself. China is still buying some T-bills, as they are called, but China is slowing down. The trouble is that the U.S. administration is increasing the debt load of the United States government at a record pace. In 2010, the federal government's financial condition deteriorated rapidly, far beyond the $1.5 trillion in new debt taken on to finance the budget deficit. 
the government added $5.3 trillion in new financial obligations in 2010, largely for retirement programs such as Medicare and Social Security. That brings to a record $61.6 trillion, the total financial promises not paid for. This gap between spending commitments and revenue last year equals more than one-third of the nation's gross domestic product. The $61.6 trillion in unfunded obligations amounts to $527,000 per household. That's more than five times what Americans have borrowed for everything else, mortgages, car loans, and other debt. In 2011, the new debt will be $1.6 trillion from the budget deficit. The overall national debt is more than $14.4 trillion in addition to the debt burden and commitments of previous years. Ben Bernanke of the Federal Reserve is creating hundreds of billions of dollars out of thin air and then turning around and buying debt from Timothy Geithner, who was once the chairman of the New York branch of the Federal Reserve, and apparently there's no end in sight. These men are in this together. Their plan is to help each other in the process of robbing you of the value of your dollars. For every dollar that is created out of thin air and sent circulating through the markets, the value of your other dollars declines. We call that inflation because the effect of the decline in the value of the dollar is to increase the price of goods and services. Do you know why the cost of food and energy is sky high and going up? It is partly because of quantitative easing and partly because of increasing strain on supplies. But the problem would be a lot easier if there weren't that electronic process of creating more cash to circulate in the economy. The United States dollar is soon going to drop off the cliff, especially when it's no longer the reserve currency. The United States is trapped. There's no way to come out of this crisis. All government leaders can do is try to ease the pain, and it is all going to change your lifestyle as we head into the currency crisis. The national debt problems in Europe with Greece, Ireland, and Portugal is child's play compared to what is coming from the United States, when world economic leaders are finished with their plans. The key issue is the imminent collapse of the U.S. dollar, which will be triggered by losing its status and the world's reserve currency, and world leaders are working to that end. Sam Zell, one of the richest men in the world and a very successful investor, said, My single biggest financial concern is the loss of the dollar as the reserve currency. I can't imagine anything more disastrous to our country. I'm hoping against hope that ain't going to happen. But you're already seeing things in the markets that are suggesting that confidence in the dollar is waning. If things don't change, Zell said, I think you could see a 25% reduction in the standard of living in the USA if the U.S. dollar is no longer the world's reserve currency, he said. That's how valuable it is. Warren Buffett, perhaps the best-known investor in the world, recently said that over time the U.S. dollar will become less important as America's dominance of the world's economic system diminishes. Another investor, Ray Dalio, said, it's inevitable that the dollar's role as the world's currency will diminish from the dominant world currency to one of a few, he said. Do you think these investors are joking? No, they're not. They're serious because they have billions of dollars in investments at stake, 
and have to think realistically. In other words, these men are saying that the collapse of the U.S. monetary system is already underway. The U.S. is already in over its head in debt. Even if deficit spending stopped in 2011, there would be no way that the debt could be paid off in a hundred years. And there is nothing that Congress can do, except to make it worse. And there is nothing the President can do about it, except to make it worse. They may make a show of trying to do something to limit the debt, but they cannot do anything substantial. It would be political suicide. The United States is trapped, and it is inevitable that the dollar will fall from its favored position in the world. We are in the midst of that process right now. Right now, the U.S. cannot go broke. All they have to do is print more dollars and then pay their debts. The United States buys everything in dollars. It doesn't have to buy anything in euros, Australian dollars, New Zealand dollars, Chinese yuan, or anything else. The fact that the dollar is the reserve currency gives the United States a huge advantage. In other words, money creation is the only thing keeping the U.S. dollar from collapsing. So they don't want to stop doing that. It's too dangerous. But to continue to create enormous amounts of money is also dangerous. It is creating the very collapse that the Federal Reserve is supposedly trying to avoid. The money creation is radically devaluing the dollar. It's just going more slowly. And when the U.S. dollar loses its spot as the global reserve currency, the economic crisis will be ten times worse than what happened in 2008. The economic crisis of 2008 was child's play compared to the coming upheaval. I might add at this point that when the crisis hits, Americans may be willing to accept a dictator in place of an elected president if that person proposes to solve the problems. I'm not saying that will actually happen. All I'm saying is that I think it is possible. Bill Simon, the CEO of Walmart, the world's largest company, recently made some comments about inflation. U.S. consumers face serious inflation in the months ahead for clothing, food, and other products. Walmart is working with suppliers to minimize the effect of cost increases. Still, inflation is going to be serious, he said. We are seeing cost increases starting to come through at a pretty rapid rate. U.S. creditors, like China, are on the horns of a dilemma. If they unload dollars on the market, that will reduce the value of the dollars they have left. And until there's a replacement for the dollar as the world's reserve currency, China has to buy more U.S. debt just to keep things going and to protect itself. So China has begun to do something very cunning. They are buying up assets around the world and spending their dollars hand over fist. They are buying commodities like copper and zinc. They bought a huge aluminum corporation called Rio Tinto. They are buying car companies like Volvo petroleum companies like Occidental Petroleum, energy companies in Brazil, infrastructure companies, agriculture companies, land in Africa, Australia, and South America, etc. The list is long and growing every day. This is a shrewd way to unload dollars into tangible assets that are not in dollar-based economies. Those assets will produce revenue in other currencies. China is buying up the world and nobody will be able to take it from them. China is not conquering the world by military might. It is doing so by becoming the world's CEO. And it is all thanks to low interest rates in the United States that for years fueled the U.S. economy. Now that money is gone, and it will never come back. And it was all planned. 
Under Alan Greenspan, the Federal Reserve created the asset bubbles that are now popping one by one by lowering interest rates to bolster the economy. Now we're facing the backlash, and Alan Greenspan has conveniently retired. In the meantime, China is trimming their purchases of U.S. Treasuries and starting to purchase bonds in other currencies. This is one of the things that is forcing the Federal Reserve to purchase U.S. Treasuries so that the government can continue to operate. China is cutting back, but it is leaving the U.S. in debt to the Federal Reserve while pumping trillions of dollars into the market, which is deflating the dollar dramatically. But China is also joining other nations in another astute move. They started having secret meetings with Gulf state Arabs. Western countries knew about the meetings, but they didn't know the details of the discussion. But it is now beginning to be understood what they are planning. In the most profound financial change in recent Middle East history, Gulf Arabs are planning, along with China, Russia, Japan, and France, to end dollar dealings for oil, moving instead to a basket of currencies including the Japanese yen, the Chinese yuan, the euro, gold, and a new unified currency planned for nations in the Gulf Cooperation Council. Did you hear that? They are planning a new currency in the Gulf states region, just like there are globalist plans for new currencies in other regions of the world. I'll read on. Secret meetings have already been held by finance ministers and central bank governors in Russia, China, Japan, and Brazil to work on the scheme, which will mean that oil will no longer be priced in dollars. These plans will change the face of international financial transactions, one Chinese banker said. America and Britain must be very worried. You will know how worried by the thunder of denials this news will generate. And sure enough, it did. That, by the way, is from the Independent in the UK. Friends, once oil is no longer priced in dollars, that will be the end of the dollar as the world's reserve currency. When I first heard the financial leaders talking about ending the US dollar's dominance as the world's currency, I wondered how they're going to do it. Now I see how it's being done. In 2008 interview with the Financial Times, Jim Rogers, one of the most successful investors in the world, said that he wants to get out of the dollar because it is a flawed and maybe even doomed currency. On another occasion, he wrote, The dollar is not just in decline. It's a mess. If something isn't done soon, I believe the dollar could lose its status as the world's reserve currency and medium of exchange something that would lead to a huge decline in the standard of living for U.S. citizens, like nothing we've seen in nearly a century. Brazilian economist Ricardo Amaral recently wrote, There are many reasons why the U.S. economic and financial system is heading into the perfect storm, resulting in the financial collapse and meltdown of the U.S. dollar. The United States had a good run during the last 60 years and enjoyed its very special status as the main world reserve currency, but if you are smart enough to connect the dots, then you will realize that the U.S. dollar has reached the end of the line. There's no safety nets left today in the United States, and when the stampede starts out of the U.S. dollar, it will create the biggest international monetary crisis the world has ever seen, the mother of all international monetary crises, and the final collapse of the mass and massive meltdown of the U.S. dollar. The world economy and financial system is a very complex system, 
It's like a dynamic jigsaw puzzle, where the parts keep moving and the jigsaw puzzle evolves into something else. Don't think that if you live outside the United States that the coming economic collapse of the U.S. dollar is not going to affect you. The IMF isn't really interested in protecting you. It's interested in protecting globalist plans. On March 2, 2011, the Wall Street Journal published an article entitled Why the Dollar's Reign is Near an End. The author said, I believe that over the next 10 years we're going to see a profound shift toward a world in which several currencies compete for dominance. The impact of such a shift will be equally profound, with implications for, among other things, the stability of exchange rates, the stability of financial markets, the ease with which the U.S. will be able to finance budget and current account deficits, and whether the Fed can allow a policy of benign neglect toward the dollar. Did you hear what he said? In essence, he said that the impact of the shift away from the dollar will be influenced by the ease with which the U.S. will be able to finance its budget and its current deficits. The fact is that the U.S. will not be able to do this. The Federal Reserve is doing what it can to hold the economy together until such a time as the shift away from the dollar can be done successfully. Eventually, they will have to replace the dollar with another currency, like the Amero or something else. On February 10, 2011, the International Monetary Fund issued a report calling for an alternative to the dollar as the world's reserve currency. The IMF said special drawing rights, or SDRs, could help stabilize the global financial system. The goal is to have a reserve asset for central banks that better reflects the global economy, since the dollar is vulnerable to swings in the domestic economy and changes in U.S. policy. In other words, the IMF wants to become the world's lender instead of the United States. SDRs, or special drawing rights, are based on a weighted basket of international currencies. The bottom line, as best as I can understand it, is that world economic leaders are attempting to control a crash of the U.S. dollar while protecting other currencies as best they can. They want a reserve currency that is under globalist control and they will achieve it eventually. And this is where prophecy intersects with the global economy. Revelation 18.15 tells us that the merchants of the earth are in cooperation with Babylon, the world power with a mixture of church and state, to make themselves rich. These central bankers and globalist financiers are in a conspiracy with the Vatican to control the world's wealth. They deal in many precious things, but most of all, they deal in the souls of men. Listen to it. The merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. This is talking about the time when Babylon is punished, but it is also telling us what is happening now. These central bankers and economists are getting more power and wealth as they work together with Rome, and Rome gets more power and wealth too. Many of these men who are involved in this globalization of the economy have sold their souls to Rome. They may not even realize it, but they are in a game which has an end. That end is the collapse of the financial system when Rome reaches its heights of power. But first, they have to globalize the economy, and this is what is happening right now. 
They have to get control away from the U.S. dollar without jeopardizing the system that feeds them their power and wealth. But the time is coming when it will all collapse around them. Verse 17 says that in one hour so great riches has come to naught. And verse 19 says that they will throw dust on their heads and cry. Revelation 13.8 tells us that all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, the papacy, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In order for that religious power to enforce a global form of worship, there must first be a global political order and a global economic order. This is what is being constructed right now, and it will have serious implications for you and your family, both in the United States and in other nations. Once the U.S. dollar is no longer the reserve currency of the world, then Rome will be much freer to manipulate global assets through the merchants of the earth and ascend to the heights of power described in Revelation. The final test, the Sunday Law, is closely linked to the coming financial collapse. As distress of nations with perplexity increases, the people of the United States will feel that God has abandoned them and will seek to bring the nation back to God. They will press on their legislative bodies to enact religious laws that will require all to worship according to the principles of Roman Catholicism, particularly in Sunday worship, even though they are in their own churches. National ruin will not come before Sunday worship laws, and perhaps even anti-Sabbath laws are enacted, but they will surely lead to national ruin. Listen to this statement from Last Day Events, page 133 and 134. When our nation, in its legislative councils, shall enact laws to bind the consciences of men in regard to their religious privileges, enforcing Sunday observance, and bringing oppressive power to bear against those who keep the seventh-day Sabbath, the law of God will, to all intents and purposes, be made void in our land, and national apostasy will be followed by national ruin. That's speaking about the United States. The shift away from the dollar may not be the final collapse of the United States, but it will certainly move us a good long way along those lines. As economic distress increases, watch for parallel movements in the religious world as we near the close of probation. The most important thing for you, my friends, is to get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Nothing should be allowed to stand in your way of achieving that. Your heart and the hearts of your children and family must be surrendered to His power. Let Him infuse you with His grace so that you can become an overcomer and live by all of His Ten Commandments. Friends, it's not too late for you to turn around now. It's not too late for you to make a new start and invite Jesus into your life. It is not too late for you to gain the victory over all your sins, so that you will be prepared to receive the latter rain and survive the coming economic collapse. In addition to your spiritual preparation, you should do some other things as well. Get out of debt, like credit card debt especially. Also get out of any other debt that is not related to your mortgage on your home. Do not live beyond your means. Also get out of the city if you live in one. Learn to grow a garden and an orchard. Live more simply, and you won't need all those technology gadgets that cost money. Find ways to simplify. Even if you have to sell your home and move into a smaller home. Get your finances under control. 
so that you are not living beyond your means. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for the promise that our bread and water will be sure in the midst of economic and political chaos, social upheavals, and end-time disasters. Your presence in our hearts means so very much to us. We long to be with Jesus in a new world, where these problems and crises will not exist. Prepare us for that great land. Send us your Holy Spirit that we may live by your law of liberty and your law of love, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
We hope you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you've just heard is called His Eye is on the Sparrow, sung by Jennifer Buttery. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Seekers of Your Heart. This beautiful CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry.